Hey friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. As we come off of Easter, we embark on a new series examining the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. To get us started, the Reverend John Guest preaches a sermon entitled, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Let's talk to the Lord this moment. If you'll close your eyes with me and turn them toward the Lord in your imagination. See yourself speaking to him. Lord, we thank you that you are alive. We speak to you, a living God. We thank you for the wonderful worship of the season of Easter, in which we still gather to worship. Walk amongst us, living Lord Jesus. Meet with us, visit us. Show yourself to us. Move our hearts, our souls, our passions. The vibrancy of all the interests of our life we bring in prayer to you and ask you, Lord, to work amongst us this very moment. Take my lips, Lord, and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, something close to 50 years, it seems quite remarkable. Maybe it was just in the 40 years. I haven't sort of sat down and worked it out. But a book was published by the title Evidence That Demands a Verdict. The author was was Josh McDowell. He's kind of legendary. We actually had him speaking here at a youth conference for youth leaders for the whole of Western PA that our pastor Doug Rarig initiated and organized and put on here and just a couple of months or so ago Josh McDowell was right here at Christ Church but back in those days he was working with Campus Crusade he was a bright intellectual the book evidence that demands a verdict may be on your bookshelves but it is a heavy tome heavily referenced with a whole variety of backup to the notion that Jesus is alive. And this is the second really in a series given what we preached on Easter Sunday, speaking to the issue that Jesus is alive, powerfully present, available to us, seeking us out, initiating his good plans for our lives in however the circumstances move us and direct us. There used to be a church, I think it may still have the big sign, I know the church is still there, in Monroeville had a big sign right on the parkway, Jesus is alive. If you turn to page 6 in your service sheet or in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, 
This is the potent message again this morning. I actually want to go on to a verse later in this chapter, not in your service sheets. Listen to these words from the Bible yet. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, there's nothing there. We are hopeless and heavenless. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, and whether it's the truths of God's word, the gospels by which Jesus is represented doing dramatically powerful, miraculous things, being crucified for our sins, rising for our justification. It's all emptiness if he didn't walk from the grave alive. Well, the evidence is staring us in the face in this passage. Let me give you a couple of introductory comments You may want to be using the page across from the scriptures in your service sheet to make some notes. First thing is this. The credibility of this document, the letter to the Corinthians. I mean, I believe the whole Bible is the word of God. But when you come at it with doubts and you have question marks about what it's saying, The credibility of 1 Corinthians is astounding. All scholars, even the more liberal kind who are disaffected with the kind of evangelical Bible-believing faith that we preach here, acknowledge that Paul is the author, that this is an authentic document, and they date it 52, 53, AD. Somewhere in those early 50s, 1 Corinthians was written and sent to the church in Corinth. Now, I just again say this in passing that's before any of the Gospels were written. The earliest Gospel to appear is Mark's Gospel, and that appeared in the early 50s. Here is a living letter from somebody who's already preached in Corinth earlier than the 52. Let me put the date 53 on it just for convenience. I'm going to give you a little math lesson in just a moment. At least allude to some numbers. So we say 53. And I say 53 because that would be exactly 20 years after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. Our date measures time from the birth of Jesus. So if he died A.D. 33, and this was written 
AD 53, that's only 20 years afterward. And you often hear people say that the scriptures were written so far beyond the events that took place that they're just filled with myths and fantasies. Well, that is not true in this instance. It's not true in any instance. But the evidence of this, 52 AD, 53, just for simple math. Because when Paul says in verse 1, if you look at it, that he preached this same message. Listen to these words. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. So what he's writing here, five years earlier, he had preached... Now the significance of that is you back up, instead of it being 20 years, it's only 15 years between his preaching this message and when Jesus died and rose from the dead. And I'll mention another five years that you can clip off of this, 15 years. Paul was not converted on the day of the resurrection. He met Jesus alive. They estimate, some, they estimate, the scholars estimate, something like about five years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So between Paul meeting Jesus and his preaching Jesus is only a decade you can fudge that two or three years either way but that is really up close and in your face my wife and I were married to each other 52 years ago this year now let me just tell you something I remember exactly where we were married I remember exactly the car we drove away in for our honeymoon I remember exactly the first restaurant we stopped in to have a cup of hot chocolate and get the balloons and the rice and all the goop out of our car. <laughs> we have taken our kids and sat them at the counter where we told them their mummy and daddy, whatever number of years ago it was at the time we took them there, sat and had our first little meal together after we were married. I remember what we wore. I remember two little black kids who snuck in the back of the church and were sticking their heads around the side of the altar as we were saying our vows. 52 years ago, not just a decade, or 15 years ago. And as I say these things, you can look back on your life and anything of consequence you remember vividly as if it were just yesterday. This document is a credible document. For those of you struggling, I want to encourage you in your faith and to cash it all in for Jesus right here this morning. To be encouraged by this. 
Let me read these verses and begin to talk about them. If you go to verse 3, it says this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter. Then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some of them have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. I'll say more about that James in just a moment. And then to all the apostles. But last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now this is evidence, evidence that saw Paul's life so radically turned around that it was as if the most ugly, horrible, vicious, wicked leader in the world today got up on a platform somewhere and said he'd come to Jesus. The Apostle Paul was an adamant opponent of Jesus. He participated in the slaughter of the first martyr, Stephen. He dragged people off to prison. He was viciously opposed to Jesus being alive until he met Jesus. And then Paul met Peter, who had met Jesus. And then Paul met, maybe not one at a time, knew of this 500 people at one time that saw Jesus. And James he visited with, who met Jesus. And Paul had his visions and inspirations along the way in his life, so that he ends up being the author of most of the New Testament. God's Word. Alive. Now, when people have come across with their skepticisms, they've had to create some other scenario if they don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So, for instance, about the time I first came to the USA, there was a book, very popular book, called The Passover Plot. And it speculated because there's no evidence for it but the author not believing in the resurrection wanted to find some way around the obvious acclamation that Jesus was alive still Lord and Savior and what he did was speculate that they drugged Jesus on the cross when they gave him that drink on a stake He was drugged and appeared to die. A similar speculation or devised plot you read of in Matthew 
where the religious leadership of that day said this man was declaring that before we killed him he was saying that he was going to rise from the dead you better put a guard on that tomb and seal it because otherwise his disciples are going to come and steal his body and say it's a resurrection to life that's in the gospel of Matthew so supposing he was drugged and the disciples came and stole his body given that Jesus let's just speculate for a moment that that really happened do you know how they get the body off the cross they lay it back down on the ground and they tear the hands and the feet back over the nails that nailed him to the cross prior to his execution Jesus beaten to within an ounce of his life speared in his side hanging there for hours crucified I want to ask you if you speculate that he didn't really die but was just drugged and appeared to die and they tore his body off the cross and whisked it away somewhere from the grave what then did they do with him how did they ever keep that under wraps how long do you think it would take to nurse him back to some kind of health and then what would they do how would they keep him away so that he turns up here and then disappears turns up there and then disappears how would they pull that off the speculation doesn't add up and especially since the early disciples when preaching that he was alive and virtually to a man gave up their lives preaching that message hounded pounded executed jailed rejected and they never ever changed their tune there's been another speculation and that is that they hallucinated in their tears in their distress they imagined that they saw Jesus alive but when you say he was seen by 500 people at the same time and they didn't know anything about human psychiatry and psychology in those days but doctors will tell you it's impossible for two people to have the same hallucination at the same time and to have 500 people seeing Jesus alive at the same time not possible as with the 12 disciples or the 11 disciples and another very interesting thing and I do want to come to James at this point this is not James the brother of John this is James the brother of Jesus the author of the epistle to James in the New Testament James the brother of John was also martyred very early 
in the Acts of the Apostles. He was the second one taken and executed, beheaded by King Herod. When Paul went to Jerusalem to meet with the leadership, James, the brother of Jesus, was the bishop of Jerusalem, the leader of the church in, the, in Jerusalem. You read of this in Acts chapter 15, verse 13. And similarly in Galatians chapter 1, that's another of Paul's letters, and verse 19, speaking of Paul visiting with James, the brother of our Lord. Now here's the significance of James' name here and his being the brother of Jesus. In the lifetime of Jesus, none of his family believed, other than his mom and dad, that he was who he said he was. They thought he was beside himself. There are several accounts of their trying to get him away from the crowd because they thought he had gone around the bend mentally. Do you know how hard it is, and some of you will know this keenly, to have another member of your family come to faith in Christ after you have? Your own family is the most difficult to reach out to and, and have them come to faith. Even if you have, and dramatically so. It was the case in my life. My mother was not excited about me coming to faith. She didn't say, wow, I better take this seriously. Neither did my brothers. They ridiculed me. Neither did my friends. They mocked me. But your family. I went to aunts and uncles, cousins. I wanted them to come to faith. I went after them like a maniac. I mean, I was driven. I cycled right across London on my bicycle to witness to an aunt and uncle who lived on the other side of London. Your family is so hard to reach. And when, when you read that the brother of Jesus became the bishop and leader of the church in Jerusalem, it's another astounding evidence that Jesus was alive. His brother had risen from the dead. He saw his brother, knew it was his brother, and committed his life to his brother and became a leader in the church. And just a couple of other little pieces of evidence. Speaking of Jerusalem, that's where the church exploded by the thousands, virtually doubling, doubling in months after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. In Jerusalem, that is like in New York or London, at the center of the culture, at the center of the nation, not out, the, not out in the sticks where you might kiss it off as just ignorant peasants coming to faith. In Jerusalem. And one other little piece of evidence. No, none of the followers of Jesus were worshipping or hanging around the tomb or the death site of Jesus like we do when somebody is dead and buried. Do you remember, some of you will, remember James Dean, 
Some of you are younger movie buffs and you know that he's one of the great ones from the 50s. Great movie star. He's featured in the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Big posters like people who died young in the movie industry. Marilyn Monroe, another one. But James Dean. I remember going to see the movie East of Eden. It was mesmerizing. He was mesmerizing. He died in a car wreck on a California highway right early in his career as a young man. And for years afterwards, it gathered people from around the world maybe, certainly the USA, to where he died on the highway or to his grave. Not so with Jesus. Why not? He was alive. They weren't hanging around a tomb or where he was executed. They were out saying, Jesus is alive. I have to finish now. But I'm not finished. But I have to finish now. Bow your heads with me. Because Jesus is here. Just like you know, going through here right now are maybe millions of messages, texts, emails. You can't see or hear a one of them, but you know it's true. No less so, Jesus is here. And you can't see him. But he is here. And he comes to where you are. I spoke about cashing in your lot with him. If you've been hobbling along, crippled by doubts, Unable to just get going for him because you're not sure of him? Throw all that away right now. And speak to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe you are here. I believe you love me. I believe you have the power to change my life. I believe you have special plans for my life. And I want to be a part of you and whatever those plans are. So come fill me with yourself, Lord. Inspire me. Living Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.